I have to admit, I used to be a little bit of a book snob. I wouldn't even consider a Kindle, let alone an audiobook. It just felt like cheating. But that is until I tried Audible and Open Audible. Ever wonder where I find the time to read all the books that my guests have written on this show? Well, this is the answer. When I'm behind in my reading, I just jump to audiobook. Open Audible is a cross-platform audiobook manager designed for Audible users that can allow you to download, view, manage, and connect your favorite audiobooks on MP3 so that you can enjoy them across all your devices. Best of all, you can control it all from a desktop application. I'm giving away a copy of Open Audible for the entire month of November. All you have to do is sign up to my mailing list. You'll find the link in the description below or go to openaudible.org for more information. Today's podcast is sponsored by the guys in the flag jackets. Gary and Jim are the guys in the flag jackets. Every week, these two sit down and discuss a wide variety of political issues, all the way from the weird and wonderful world of local politics to more obscure political ideas and concepts. Ever wondered about the 1979 Chicago mayoral election? Well, I hadn't either until these guys came along and blew my mind. Or did you know that the layout of the ballot can have a crazy influence upon the way you vote? Neither did I, but thankfully Gary and Jim were there to tell me all about it. So if you want a fun and intriguing look into US politics from a unique perspective, check out the guys in the Flag Jackets podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find the link in the description below. So, uh, hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Chatter. Today, I'm here with Aid Thompson. Aid, uh, you are political hector, TikToker, uh, man that has a podcast entitled Aid Thompson and Other Disappointments. So, yeah, man, welcome to the show. Welcome to you, to your own show. Yes. Uh, no, it's nice to be here. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. I mean, we got in eventually, being locked outside. That was fun. Yeah, <laughs> I felt like, because I was sort of slumped and like leaning against the like the window waiting for you to turn up i was worried that the girl that was inside who ended up letting us in thought that i was just like hammered and like you know slumped against the window mm. but um yeah. which you are but you, you know that was yeah you're I still mean, meant to be in here. i was slumped against the window but not hammered yet yet so yeah well yes i with my coffee and my green tea sure we'll be, sure we can get drunk off of uh political excitement intoxicated yes. by stimulating conversation mm. yes that's probably a better way of putting it. So we, I first like spotted you, like, I don't know, just cause you I don't know, try to keep an eye on like people in the UK who have politics related podcasts sure. generally. Cause I like to see how the space is developing. Yeah. And we did chat about, um, about digital currency and, uh, social credit scores. And you basically had pointed out that you thought that this was inevitably the way it's going to go. Yeah. So like, why, why do you think that's inevitable? I think when you look at where tech, so I, I work in tech, right? I, I don't just sort of shout from the sidelines in the p- political sphere 24 uh, seven. My day job is within the tech space and I've seen tech advancing and I've seen capitalism like advancing with it. Um, I just think when you've got something like digital currency uh, that makes the lives of so much of the population easier um and there's sort of two or three upticks to it i just think you don't really stand much of a chance pushing back on it and saying i don't want to go in that direction when you've got enterprise you've got small businesses you've got all of these overheads attached to cash where 
like you're going to have to convince them to pay more and live more awkwardly to satisfy your concerns about digital currencies that they may not be up to speed with. So I, I feel like industrially, because mm. of the convenience factor, it will just move in that direction anyway. It doesn't mean I necessarily think it's a great flawless idea, <laughs> but I I just think that is probably where we're headed. Mm. Uh, headed. So like, do you think do you think it has to be? A government controlled digital currency because that's where the real the real like discussion comes like the concern is yeah. yeah um do i think it needs to be government controlled no probably not if if it were to be government controlled and i'm positive the government would like control of it oh yeah i think you can say uh, that again <laughs> uh, i mean you only have to look at the hysteria around things like bitcoin over the last like sort of seven years uh to see how frightened they are and i think am i right in saying bitcoin's still banned in china yeah completely uh, Thanks, China. It made it way more, way more uh, renewable energy friendly. Yeah, yeah. So they were burning coal plants to run it. And yeah. Now, now it's like seventy percent renewable energy. Yeah. Well, thanks, China. Yeah. Mm. I mean, like, I, I just feel like the fright that was attached to it and the hysteria that was wrapped around it uh, tell you everything that you need to know in terms of what they want to maintain uh, or or instill control over. Um, I don't think it's necessary that government have control over it. I'd like to see, like when, when Bitcoin first started bubbling up, I jumped on it um, and I made a lot of money in the space of about like six months. Mm. And then I got fucking stung. Like back, like it was so embarrassing. Uh, I wasn't going to talk about this tonight, but now I suppose it is sort of uh, linked in with digital currency and, and cashlessness. Um, so here's, here's what happened, right? So I got really excited about Bitcoin uh, I worked in tech, so I heard about it reasonably early on. I thought, you know what? I don't have loads of capital to throw into this, but what I will do is every time I was going to go and get a coffee from the little barista thing, instead of doing that, I'll put 250 on uh, my app and bought Bitcoin with it. And because I drink so much fucking coffee, over the space of like a month, mm. two months, six months, like this sort of 250 pound initial deposit over the first month, like I said, lots of coffee, uh, <laughs> fucking ballooned. Like it, it went up to like 1,200, 1,300 pounds, which, you know, we're not talking ludibucks here, but that's no. enough to make your eyes like widen and go, okay, mm -hmm. this is interesting. So then I started bragging to my girlfriend about it, going like, I put this money into Bitcoin and like, this could be our spending money for our holiday. Like we we're going to have a baby mm. and, uh, well, well, did end up having a baby. Um, and the day before we were due to go to fly out to the south of France for this sort of baby moon, like last holiday before mm. baby comes along. Uh, the license from the credit card company or the debit card was stripped with no notice. Like Visa just said, no, you can't operate within this space. Mm. That money was, I could not touch it. It was just sat in this account. I had to pay a guy to transfer, like it was a real rigmarole to have it transferred into this and then put through SEPA over mm -hmm. into this account and then converted back. I lost about half that money. And it just made me think, oh, this is fucking ridiculous. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not doing that again. Um, anyway, look, that's a really roundabout way of... Not your saying. keys, not your yeah. coins, man. Yeah. Which I, a lot of people have learned that lesson very hard in the last month. Sure, sure. FTX going down, BlockFi, Binance is next. Yeah. Um. Yeah, anyone, anyone that's still operating on those exchanges is is a moron. Not even operating on it, just keeping their money on it. 
Yeah. Like, but then where do you sit on that? So if you're sort of anti-cashless and then you see something like FTX go down, mm-hmm. are you like, well, that wouldn't be government-controlled cashless, mm-hmm. so therefore I'm supportive of it? Or are you like, uh, it's cashless, so I don't like it, so I'm glad it went down? So there's many levels to my feelings about this. Right. I think that basically everything that isn't Bitcoin is a shit coin. And it's a Ponzi scheme scam set up by people to make a lot of money. Right. Apart from a couple of ones that were literally just set up for fun. Mm. I even think that the Ethereum token is a backdoor into these central bank digital currencies because it's being set up to be the basis for a lot of the ones that are being trialed. And it's centrally controlled. Some guy, like they've just decided to go. The problem with most of them is that they're proof of stake, right? Which is, means that um, your ability to make money off of them is based on your ability to have money to put into it in the first place, which is just the financial system we have now. It's yeah. no different, right? The proof of work that comes along with, with Bitcoin, like BTC, is um, like you have to have the computing power and you have to run the, you have to run it, the, the, yeah, you have to run the miners to, 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 to crack your code. And like, yeah. at least it's based on something physical. Yeah. Right. It's not just, oh, well, we made up like this coin. We made up this coin. Yeah. And um, we're just going to set the value and we own 70% of it. So sweet. You yeah. know, the, the, yeah. which, is, which is Ethereum. Um, so it's, the, and the FTX thing, like, I am really not convinced that this wasn't um, a way to backdoor get into regulating the crypto market. Right, uh, because Sam Bankman-Fried was like on the stage with all of the worst people that you can possibly imagine: <laughs> Bill Clinton, Tony Blair, yeah, like big friends with fucking Gary Gensler, who's the head of the SEC. Yeah. He's getting like like these lavish, wondrous think pieces. Still, right like after he's lost all these people's money, written yeah. by the New York Times. Yeah, like they're like, oh well, he didn't know what he was doing. He was just in over his head, and he's like, bitch. He's yeah. lost people billions. Like, <laughs> Poor thing. So I'm not yeah. convinced that, that, that they didn't let these things go and run um, knowing that they would collapse. Yeah. Um, or at least they failed to regulate them because they thought, oh, well, you know, if it all falls apart, great. Then we have a good reason to regulate. Mm. People didn't want them to go into that market. Are you naturally quite suspicious? Yes. Are you? Yeah. I used to be way less suspicious. Right. Of the government and generally just i was way more naive and now i'm just like like who's trying to fuck me here right right <laughs> so it's like like the meme of um the guy off it's only sunny yeah like, wait, right okay cool. literally yeah like it's not not even like that crazy like i'll entertain anything right what i actually believe is like it's very difficult to pin me down on but i just i don't like the idea of the government having control of the money yeah and they because they fucked it like yeah. the last the last so, 40 years has been them, and this is the reason I don't want the central bank digital currency. Like, e- like even if you put aside the, the control programmable aspect of it, right, and the link into the digital ID and the social credit system, you put that aside, even though, like, the Tories are very, very, very rapidly heading down that road. Right. Especially with the, the new... You pro- must be mistaken, because I'm sure they're all libertarians, right? Oh, now. yes, of course. <laughs> Fucking pieces of shit trying to pretend like they don't want a government while pillage in it yeah <laughs> yeah but they yeah so like even aside from like they're they're very concerned in protest bills over the last 40 years since the or 50 
yeah, 50 years, since since the pound and the dollar became decoupled from gold, since it was just like, we'll just print whatever and there's no back into it. Yeah. That, in my mind, has been the thing that has been destroying our economy since Thatcher. Mm-hmm. And it came along with a bunch of like deregulation and like heavy amounts of privatization and, and, and like this horrible neoliberalism that we've been fucking stuck with ever since. But the main problem is that they just printed it endlessly, right? Especially over the past 10 years. They've added more than a trillion pounds to the money supply in Britain. Mm-hmm. And, and everyone wonders why we have such massive inflation. Yeah. And like, it's... it's Because it's, money's fucking worth less yeah, now, right? Because they've so just printed it and printed print it and printed it. it. And if they have control of a digital currency... Yeah. Then they will just do the same, except they like they'll just they don't even need to go to the Bank of England anymore. But it's so like cyclical, isn't it? So they mm-hmm. will print endless amounts of money through quantitative easing, mm-hmm. uh, and what that does because you're cheapening money, you're actually inspiring, let's say, uh, the older generations, like people in their autumn years who are getting chunks of their pension out don't want that that money that nest egg to be cheapened Mm. and whereas they may have invested it in bonds or uh currency even like back in the day Mm -hmm. now they're like well hang on a second i've got to be smart about this right like i i don't want my nest egg my life savings to be watered down so Mm -hmm. i'm going to put it in property and then that's where it starts to become this sort of self-perpetuating problem Mm -hmm. because what you're doing then is putting a crunch on the property market which then becomes more expensive money is cheaper so people are like the pe- people are like how come like inequality is so bad now i'm like because of that fucking shit like this all started about 20 years ago and the, the longer we leave it the longer we kick the can down the road the worse it's gonna get yeah and you know i was talking to a guy last night about this and and i, I said to i said to him i've brought this up to a lot of people mm. like and mainly sort of older boomer establishment types right yeah. but really smart people do you know what i mean like well-read like they know their history they know their politics like they know the system yeah they're not they're not naive to the world right mm. and i've said to them it's like do you see this like ever-growing inequality as a problem do you see it as a because like like solely from a wanting your heads to remain on your shoulders point of view mm. like do you see this as a problem and and most of them just like why would this be a problem yeah it's like are you kidding me this is what i keep saying to people on my show is like you can push people so far like you can you can keep like taking this much money away from them in their tax or you can make houses this much more expensive uh you can make their schools shitter and close down more and more hospitals you can continue to push people further and further into that corner but eventually they're gonna fucking snap and it's you're gonna either get violence or you know riots uh i mean you're sort of alluding to uh a full-on sort of revolution or like gaddafi style ending <laughs> um i i mean maybe things might get that bad if, if it's the choice between starving watching your kids starve the bank taking your house and you sitting out in the rain and freezing to death and watching your nearest and dearest suffering or like going to whitehall with a fucking Molotov cocktail, people will make that decision if they don't have anything else to lose, you know? Yeah, and that's the, that's the problem. Like, you, we're pushing so many people so close to the bottom rung of the ladder with no way back up. Yeah. And, like, at some point, people are going to crack. And that, yeah. they're just going to decide, well, fuck this. We just 
flip the table and then we get chaos man yeah did you see um there was a uh, a video going around on twitter earlier of these kids this was in california just walking into the apple store and just you know they all had like sort of masks on around their faces and hoods mm. up and shit but they're just taking shit oh yeah just was, taking was this in, in san francisco in i don't know specifically where in california it was but yeah in an apple store and they just snatch ipads iphones take stuff out of people's hands and and the guy that was sharing it was like look at this lawlessness you know these these retail staff are not they're not um doing anything to fight back or and i'm like <laughs> <laughs> you paying them fuck all and the police are like you know stretched to bed this is what happens man like when you stretch public services to nothing and you pay people nothing like all it will take is somebody in london to see that and go oh yeah like mm. why, why are we not doing that we should do that like you know and we can see it now that's the problem yeah and like well i think it's that's probably partially because like you know san francisco has this rule where you can you can shoplift 800 dollars of stuff oh, really? and they won't put you in jail oh man I'm up to 800 dollars. i'm in the wrong city yeah <laughs> That's, that's a real why, thing, though. I know that's like just, just above that. Yeah, like that's that's what's keeping them high on the yeah, price yeah. point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, they could fucking... They're not even letting the people in the factory. Yeah. I don't know, man. I mean, I think... So, to, to go back to your original uh, thing about, mm. like, cash cashlessness and government control, um, yeah, to, to, to sort of, I suppose, expand on what you were saying before about... Um, where we had deregulation mm. and we decoupled from the bank reserves. I think when people talk about a cashless society, I think they see it conceptually in a binary sense, like, oh, well, we're moving from like 20 pound notes, 10 pound notes to, uh, to just like zapping my Apple pay. Like what's the difference? Mm-hmm. Um, and to a large extent, like I have some sympathy with that kind of argument because, because of the history of it, like mm-hmm. we, we are not, backing up our currency with gold Mm -hmm. like that is just a fact we just like when you go to the bank and you say i want to borrow one hundred ninety thousand pounds to buy this house the bank don't go like to the bank of england and go yeah can we get another 190 grand here and the bank of england don't look to somebody in the treasury and go yeah do you have we've got enough gold there to lend this guy 100 none of that happens like (laughs) all that happens is a guy like opens his laptop and goes like "Uh, did you you made a sale. Oh, yeah, cool. 190. Yeah, cool. Like that. And they just click. And magically, like everyone talks about, oh, there's no magic money tree. There fucking is. Like it's it's in your high street bank. They press a button and it's just fucking there. You got the money and now you're in debt for another 30 years. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Just, yeah. The, the magic money tree is really is fractional reserve banking. Yeah. Like... Right. And it's the same here. It's the same in the States. Mm. Um, and it would be... It would be interesting, I think, to me, if we were able to abstract our way from this sort of government cashless society that we operate in now and move into a digital currency that was not state controlled. Mm. Now, if also the what the, the key for me is that it's there is a finite amount. Because then we can't just like yeah rehypothecate it like we do yeah. in fractional reserve banking or like when the bank of england goes oh lads oh yeah the markets are not looking great uh, yeah, yeah just just stick another hundred million in right in the top that'll be fine so you mean like bitcoin where the algorithm slows down and slows down so it's harder to generate and so therefore there is this supply and demand this crunch yeah. on it which mm. 
makes but like the value they're used, more credit. But there used to be a finite amount of money. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's how yeah. it used to work. Yeah. Like, there used to be a finite amount, right? And then we discovered this amazing thing called debt. And then we were like, hang on a second. We can, like, create debt and build stuff. And then all of a sudden, people are like, whoa. And we did some amazing fucking shit with it, right? Yeah. Some horrible fucked up things, too, because that's the way that funded all the wars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> some fucking fat, gray-haired, white prick in a like someone up there they were like yeah if we release this financial instrument if we release this product out into the market like people will buy it right yes yes of course they will okay cool will it entrap generations in debt yes it definitely will do that yeah but i can make a bonus kind mm. of like they don't give a fuck they're just like how much like they would release a product to the market that propelled you and people like you mm -hmm. into debt for mm -hmm. 50 fucking years yeah. and you've got no escape from it, they would release that product into the market if they could, if it resulted in a 0.001% uptick in profit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we saw it in 2008, like in America, you know, you know, the bit in the big short where they get, where they're like, have you seen the film, the big oh, short? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've seen the bit where they're, his name steve carell's character i think steve carell steve carell's character is like he's uh they're asking the two young bankers about it about like what the loans they've been selling are like and the guy goes yeah i sell ninja loans no income no job yeah and he's like yeah my my best customers are immigrants they don't care you just tell them they're getting a home and tell them to sign yeah it's like that shit it's literally still going on yeah like it didn't stop in 2008 these horribly predatory practices did not stop in 2008 they're still going yeah well and the worrying like, thing about that is so after 08 they brought in a load of regulation uh and now where we are in departure from the eu my worry is that with all of this talk of like well you know now we can deregulate and now we can cut red tape and now we can we'll be the singapore on thames we'll be like i'm like that's the shit that they're gonna do like if they think they can make money mm -hmm. And people are desperate for houses and shit, aren't they? So, like, all it's going to take is an HSBC or a Santander or a Lloyd's to say, we're going to, here's a Brexit benefit for you. We're going to unleash this new mortgage product to the market that we could have never done in the EU. And now, like, this is your great British new mortgage 2.0. Uh, you, can, you can go into a mortgage with five people now. You can borrow, like... 13 times your salary you could like it'll be fucking ridiculous and it'll just like within within like it'll be so bad that in like five years we'll be like sinking into another depression or some shit God, I but... considered that. my whole book was about that i wrote a book called brexit the establishment civil war and the entire conclusion was uh that they were going to use it to um push this hardcore neoliberal like milton friedman free market fucking trash on us mm. they were just gonna give us something and they'd be like oh well look it's all everything's i said there would be a big economic shock and then they will come along and be like well the only way we can fix this really is this thing that we are saying as they did with thatcher yeah. uh as they did with um after the 08 one when george osborne just came in and conducted a fire sale that would have made made the the 1980s tories think that They'd lost their mind. Like they were just they were shoveling shit out the door as fast yeah, as they yeah. could for as little money as possible. I'm always amazed. Like when when when, when they started talking about austerity, I was like, if this is the solution to this problem, like how luck, how fortunate is it for you 
that the solution to this problem happens to be the thing that you ideologically would fucking wank your dick limp over any other year. Like, fuck, <laughs> fuck the crash. Like, oh, we get, to, we get to slash back all the public services. Oh, it's amazing. Like, how yeah. fortunate. Yeah, it, do, it does concern me that, that, like, some of them seem, like, genuinely sexually aroused at the thought of causing extreme harm to people. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, and it, do you know what it makes? It makes it so difficult for, like, I, th- I know I know a bunch of people who are who would consider themselves, like, on the right politically, who are so disgusted by these people. It's just, like, they're they're not conservatives at all. They're no. just, like, self-serving, money-grabbing pieces of shit. Oh, their, pr- their principles leave the fucking door, like... Yeah whether it is to do with ambition or personal gain uh i mean they are supposed to be the party of fiscal responsibility we've seen none of that shit they're, they're the ones that printed all the, the you know the trillion that i talked about that there's yeah. been printed that was all of them literally all them. but some of that you could bag up and go like well you know maybe they're not economists maybe they're a little bit but all, all of the other shit like Fiscal responsibility is not like funneling ten billion to your mate down here. Fiscal responsibility is not fucking. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's it's like how can you? How can any conservative MP utter the phrase fiscal responsibility for the next like fifteen years? Well, they can, but they will endlessly. Yeah. This is why I don't want Keir Starmer. Okay, so let's talk about Starmer. So mm. what's what's your beef? What's my beef? What's your beef? You won't address any of the actual problems. Mm. None of them, zero. Like, and he, he's he flip flop. He's flip flopped on everything. Yeah. If he came out, if he was still back in the same, what was it like, twelve principles or whatever he had when he first his pledges, his yeah. pledges, mm-hmm. the pledges. Yeah, yeah. If he's stuck by the pledges, like, okay, yeah. let's see what happens here. But he hasn't stuck by any of them. Yeah. I consider as we've po- as I've pointed out, I don't like this like endless money printing because I think it's destroying our economy. I think the size of the financial industry is obscene and abhorrent. And honestly, that's to me is the big Brexit bonus. Destroying the size of the financial industry. Fuck yeah. Oh no, we're not we're not the we're not the capital of the world for, for money laundering and, and figuring out how to get people's money offshore. Oh no, whatever shall we do? Yeah. You know? I hadn't thought of that really. That is a it's a bit of an uptick, isn't it? Yeah. And and like I think that the, yeah, I think the size of the financial industry is a massive, massive problem for our economy. It takes all the fucking talent away. You know, people who would like maybe otherwise like study physics and go in and do some fucking hardcore engineering, they end up making risk management products. Yeah, yeah. Um, or working in like back office or yeah, commodities analysts. Yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's to to okay, <laughs> to yeah. shut down financial services because I've worked in FS and I'm aware of the huge fucking industrial footprint that it leaves within UK PLC. Like, we are not a manufacturing economy. Uh, we're just not. We're a services-based economy, and FS is a huge part of it. So if FS collapses, what then happens to all the people that work in FS? Where do they go? Do they retrain? Do we suddenly make the shift to a manufacturing economy? Does our currency allow that? Are people going to buy the products that our labor produce when we need to pay our labor a higher figure than China, uh, China or India do? Like it's they're super complex questions. Um, I don't relish the idea of having the world capital of money laundering either. Uh, but I, <laughs> oh, I we do have it. It's not it's not something to like you know look at in the future that might come. It's like that's it. That yeah. we are. I just don't know if it's if I if I could credibly 
say that we like radically need to move away from the model that we do at the moment mm. it would take some sort of government sanctioned like huge programs of like investment in physics in biochemical research or mm. in like um uh, ai or mm. something and on that actually we could agree like we should be investing huge amounts of money in like tech and development and raising the next generation of software engineers yeah uh rather... just engineers generally like, yeah they don't have to be yeah. just software engineers i'm just speaking selfishly now yeah, I just, well... you know i need to hire good guys <laughs> yeah, right true so, yeah. but i mean that's fair like i like I, and i don't see why britain can't become that yeah you know it's yeah. like one of the thing, one of the problems I have with all of the 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 remainers now is like having having written a book about how awful the the, the leave campaign was, having written a book like uh, that that kind of changed my mind about whether it was a good idea to be connected to Europe or not on a permanent long term basis. I wouldn't like if if you give me the chance to go back to two thousand sixteen and vote again, I'd vote Remain. Right. If you give me the chance now, as in like have, having like if you give me a second vote. I would say like we gotta go for we have to leave because That's really interesting. I think I think it would cause too much division. Mm. I think it would cause so many people to lose faith in the system that you would it wouldn't be <laughs> worth it. You would vote to leave the EU to avoid division. Yes. Wow. And but you're talking about like long term division, I'm talking yeah. about short term, like five years of calling each other Brexiters and Remainers. Yeah, but I mean I I also I also continue to make the case, right? that we all of the things that we want to stay in the eu for right like protections for consumers for the environment um for employees like uh things like the working time directive like there's there's loads of stuff right but there is no there's nothing like absolutely nothing on this planet preventing us from having all those protections and not being in the EU. Mm. We just have to elect a government. <laughs> yeah, I know it's like, but like it is it is 100% in the hands of the people of this country mm. to, to have a government that does not do that. And perhaps, honestly, perhaps we have been, perhaps we've been protected from the realities of what some of our more ideologically extreme politicians actually wanted to do to this country because of the EU. Mm. And perhaps in order to rid ourselves of some of these politicians and some of these horrendous, horrendous ideas in a developed and progressive society, perhaps we need to leave the EU for people to see and witness like, what they actually want. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I see where you come from. Like, so you like lift up the curtain, show them how bad shit could be, and then they go, blah, blah, blah. Oh, "Okay, right." Yeah, That's... it's like okay. So now we need to elect some adults. Yeah, yeah. You know, instead of relying on the EU to pick up, it's almost like abdicating responsibility yeah. of of needing to pick politicians that will um, do things for the good of the country by so, relying upon the EU to do it for us. So here's here's a question for you: mm -hmm. Do you would you put your trust and faith? in either of the main political parties in this country no. to deliver no. those sorts of protections. No. Yeah, so I, I wouldn't necessarily either. Um, I mean, I was asking a little bit about Starmer because I, it, like sometimes I think on Twitter, it's easy to box people up as being like, oh, well, he's supporting Labour as they are now, so mm -hmm. therefore he must fucking love Keir Starmer. Mm -hmm. That is fundamentally not the case with me. Mm -hmm. I see him as the least worst option there, there are just two or three names in the Labour Party I would personally rather see as mm. as their leader. Uh, 
But in order to eject the Tories from power, who I see as an endlessly sociopathic, self-serving entity, mm-hmm. um, who are only out to enrich themselves, have done have achieved absolutely nothing of any value in the last twelve years. I I struggle to think of one fucking policy that they've named, rolled out, and has benefited people. Now you might be able to cling to break the Brexit vote and go. Actually, I broadly think, speaking, yeah. that's a positive or could be a positive. Yeah, but I, that's a long term positive for me. It's not. A, but yeah, it's not a something they can take credit for. <laughs> right. So because they like the uh, I give I actually give the people credit for it. Yeah. In well, a, yeah, and that's an important distinction also to make is that it was not necessarily, although you know Labour would like to portray it as the Tory Brexit or the Conservative Party's Brexit. There's a huge northern and red wall element to it also, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, going back to my point about uh, the Tories and Labour, would would we trust them to, to uh, wrap protections around society in the way that we traditionally associate with the EU? I trust Labour, even I trust Keir Starmer's Labour more than the Conservatives to uh, implement those kind of protections. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. Like when you were talking about the 12 pledges, uh, what's to say, and I asked somebody this on my show the other day, like what's to say that he, I know everyone calls him Tory light and mm-hmm. Keir Star, Starmer's a Tory and everything. What's to say he's not actually playing a chess game here? Okay. It's incredibly cynical and he's just cozying up to the center to to win over those extra few like home counties constituencies he gets in power and then he goes right lads i'm in now we he pulls off wheel the mask out and it's john mcdonald it's like, <laughs> now we wheel out the fluffy liberal stuff like and then everyone's like ah oh, i thought you were a prick but actually yeah you're right like is there any, could that be the case would you love him then i mean it would depend what he did yeah. It would depend whether the fluffy liberal stuff that you're talking about was things that were actually going to do anything or whether he spent three years campaigning about, you know, gendered bathrooms. Mm. And like, because I feel like the left gets caught up in, in, in so much of this stuff that, that means so little to so few people. Mm. And, and instead of, instead of just like, Worrying about people who can't afford to feed their fucking kids, mm. you know. Wor- worrying about people who who are having to work three jobs mm. in order to get by. Worrying about people whose fucking food bill has gone up fifty percent in the last in the last year. Like it, it seems to me that like none that that he should be hammering on that, hammering the Tories on that every fucking day. Mm. If I and I genuinely think if he if he meant it. And he actually cared about the people of this country that it would show mm. because, you know, there's, there's being like the soft sort of quiet dude, you know, there's, there's like people who are reserved and maybe don't get like that fired up and emotional. And I've seen, but I've seen him talk passionately about things before. Yeah. And, and it rings like a career politician in my ears. Right. That's what it sounds like to me. And it doesn't sound like someone who actually gives a fuck about people, because I think there's a, oh, I think there's a lot of people in this country that are really fucking hurting, yeah, and struggling, yeah, and and it it pains me to watch the the joy, especially from from a lot of the mainstream 
of politics that that are pleased that they've got their little they've got their Keir versus Rishi <laughs> they've got their PMQs you know a couple of stabs each way mm. you know they can talk about things you know it's business as usual mm. and in the rest of the fucking country it's not business as usual man yeah and and that's why I I I just see him as more of the same I don't yeah. see him solving any of the major problems that I was talking like the financialization is one of them, like closing the tax havens. But but most of all, just like trying to give people like a, a job that, that, that pays. Yeah. And it pays them enough to, to not struggle. Yeah. And it's such a fucking under underrated part of of politics. And you wonder why every fucking totalitarian dictator that ever arrives on the scene promises people some variation of bread and work. Like yeah. You know, it's because because people are very simple in t in fucking troubled times. That's what they want. Yeah. You know, they want stability and the ability to eat. And in the absence of somebody saying that stuff, uh, quite a dangerous place to be in politically. Because if he isn't saying that stuff, <clears throat> what's to say somebody else coming up who's more of a radical on either the far left or the far right starts over promising, starts saying. I can do this, I can do that, and then once they get in, mm. all fucking hell breaks loose. Yeah. Well, um, this is this is how someone like Farage gets elected. Yeah, yeah. Because like it's desperation. Yeah. It's fear. It's... They're saying the right things in some in in some areas. Yeah. Then people can overlook the the more abhorrent or repulsive parts of of the of some of the stuff he said and done. Well, that's the and... really important point of it is is that it like you don't have to agree with the racist shit that these people come out with. You just have to believe that when they say, I can fix this better than he can. I like, he's not taking you seriously. I will give you a roof over your head. Like, don't you remember the good old days when a, a house was only like three times your salary? I can bring us back to that. All you have to believe is that shit. Buy a ticket for that show. And then the racism and the horrible shit comes along with it. Yeah. Because it's like, oh man, I'm going to forget the name of the guy. He runs Migration Watch UK, right? And I had him on the show. And... He was like, he was, he, he, well, there was something he said to me. It was something like, like the, some, some asylum seekers been housed in a hotel in some village that, or town that he was talking about. I can't remember what it was. And he was just like, people in my village have been waiting or my town have been waiting like three months for a GP's appointment. And people oh, have I come here this. looking for asylum in a hotel yeah. and they've got access to medical care immediately. Yeah. Right. And it's like, okay, so people are fleeing a war that we've started. Yeah. We, you know, fair enough. Like, we've got to pay some cost for that, right? And I don't, yeah, the asylum system set up after 1945 in order to make sure that we would always be ready in an, so that we would never see a repeat of the atrocities of, of the Second World War, right? Mm -hmm. All completely valid things. Is his point about the people waiting in the village, not being able to get medical care. Like you can't tell him he's wrong. You know, you can't, you can't be like, well, that's like, the, like too bad for the people in that village. And, mm. and like the, the thing I kept saying to him was like, look, they're, they're, the, the, these two don't have to be mutually exclusive. Mm. Right. But at the minute the government are, and the, the way it's being played is making it out to seem like it's mutually exclusive. And then people, when, when it's not pointed out that, you know, they have maybe a point or that maybe both should be taken care of. Mm -hmm. If you don't say that, then they're just like, well, you don't care about us. Yeah. You know, and, and the, that's the conversation that, that Keir Starmer and, and no one will have. 
And that's yeah. why people will vote for Nigel Farage. Yeah, yeah. But it's also like whenever I get into that that conversation, I'm always like, like, who was it? Somebody was tweeting about this the other day. Can't remember who the fuck it was now. Uh, anyway, it's not important. Um, they were saying a similar thing, right? Uh, people can't get an appointment at the GP. People can't get a social housing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the schools are full, all of that stuff. So why are we letting more Im- immigrants in? Where are all these asylum seekers coming from, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, what you're doing is actually you're campaigning about a an underfunded system like the asylum system needs more funding the hospital needs more funding the population grows but as the population grows more people go into work more people are earning money more people pay tax the tax coffers are more full Hmm. if those tax coffers don't cover the public services of the population that has raised someone somewhere is avoiding tax like it is that simple like the 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 population goes to like 65 million more people are working. The population goes to 70 million, 75 million, more people are working. There should be sufficient money that's coming in through all of those channels to support the country. It's mm. just a few ideological fuckers in Whitehall who are like, well, you know, maybe we don't need an extra hospital in that in that town. Maybe, you know, they've got one in the next town a lot. Maybe we'll just savage a few ambulances. Like, do we need an extra classroom in that school? No, no, we'll just savage. Mm. And people fall for this shit again and again they go like well yeah maybe if we do close a hospital maybe my taxes will go down fucking no your taxes aren't going anywhere because we're fucking exporting de- like debt is our biggest export mm. your tax money goes on that they savage these public services oh god winds me up yeah and it's uh, the other thing again Keir Starmer we'll talk about it like they, they want to continually talk about a wealth tax right yeah and I'm like bro just Close the fucking tax loopholes. Yeah, yeah. Like, literally, just, you see if the people who were meant to pay tax paid the tax they were meant to fucking pay. Yeah. We wouldn't need to talk about this shit. Yeah. We would, there, there would be, like, a, the, the, the amount of money that is, like, lost offshore, be, like, the, the estimates vary considerably, right? Yeah, yeah. But even on the low end, like, it's it, it dwarfs, like, the benefit fraud. Oh, yeah. By... By like orders of magnitude. Yeah. Right. It's in hundreds of billions mm-hmm. in terms of like tax avoidance, both mm-hmm. corporate and like offshoring mm-hmm. your own money. Um, it is an insane problem versus what you're alluding to there, which is, you know, somebody signs up for a benefit that they're not actually entitled to, or somebody's on the dole for longer than they should have been. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure that obviously we don't happens. want anyway. Yeah. But like like come on. Perspective. Yeah. But again, do you know why fucking Keir Starmer will say shit? It's because he is bought by the same people that the Tories are bought by. Yeah. You know, and this, this is why I keep Rick is right. Here's what's going to happen. If you vote for... Not even you. If, if the country collectively elects a Keir Starmer Labour government, yeah. here's what's going to happen. They're going to maybe change a couple of things. Maybe they pump a little bit more money into the NHS, right? Yeah. We get, like, the strikes that we've seen yeah. at the minute. They're not going to go away because it's quite clear that the, the Labour front bench are like, fuck you and your strikes. Yeah. They, like, they've been barred from joining picket lines. The Labour Party. Okay. So, <laughs> it is, I do have some sympathy with the rule that they shouldn't be on the picket lines. I know it's symbolic. I know it's a good thing uh, to have Labour on side with that. But I also, I have some sympathy with the idea that they are not in government. 
yet. Mm -hmm. Now, when they are, so they should. So they have no strings and no ties where they're they're going. Well, you know, we can't make that decision because you know my hands are tied because we've already agreed to this budgetary decision. No, they they have the free and open sky, or the you know they can they can say whatever they want. Look, they yeah, take they a lesson from the Republicans like they, in America. They just say whatever they want. They do like, the media rounds. They go out. They give their side of things in the channels that are open to them. So you'll get like an Emily Thornbury or an Angela Rayner on the morning rounds and they will say, we fully support the strikers. Uh, we are behind them. We think it's disgusting that they haven't had a pay rise for however long. Um, but it's, there, there's an element of... Lip service, man. It's the, it's the, it's the equivalent of the, the fucking England team deciding they weren't going to wear the One Love fucking bands. They were like, oh, we'll do our, our thing because like, you know, we, we, lo we love these, you know, gestures and they, then they... They got told they were going to yellow cards, maybe. But and they were like, all, oh, fuck it. So it's all gestures, it's, though, it's, isn't it? It's all gestures. I want, I want someone who's going to do something. But here you are asking for them to go on the front line with the, the picket line. Yeah, but that's, fucking do something. But they're not doing it. anything either. The, the way that they Are you telling me that Mick Lynch hasn't changed people's opinions? Oh, Mick Lynch, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. And the, the politicians union, get and down the there and say the same things he said. Because they should be saying... Like, what Mick Lynch is presenting... Is, yeah. is not hardcore left wing at all. He's no. being very reasonable. That's Good. where the Labour Party should be. Good for him. I'm supportive of Mick Lynch. Great. But I just think where, say, you, you will not like this, but where professional politicians mm -hmm. affect change and message and win people over is through the media. Mm. So for them to, let's say that Angela Rayner decided to go on the picket line instead of being on LBC and the BBC that night, telling 10 million people why it was important that rail workers got a raise. There's, there's just more political benefit to her getting that message out via the media than standing at a protest march. I, I understand how it's important, the symbolism for somebody in Labour to be there present, supporting them. But I do understand why it's important for them to, as, as a professional front bench, to be like, hang on, let's let the Tories own this fuck up. Uh, why are Labour not on the front thing because it's like we're not in charge like there's not <laughs> you know i i kind of i see where you're coming from but i see where they're coming from too mm. no i do see where they're coming from but i don't know man it just feels like feels like they they're not a real opposition mm. that's what it feels like to them. people said that about jeremy corbyn's rim and i was like are you kidding me mm. listen to what he says yeah but when you listen to keir starmer like they just half the stuff the tories does he's like it's a good choice. Good to see. You know, <laughs> good work, guys. Good work. Do you you know, think... maybe you could have done this thing a little differently, but you know, uh, t you know, nine out of ten. Yeah. Very good. You know, congratulations. I will say this, right? So I, I also think Starmer doesn't listen enough to the all quarters of his party, really. Um, like ninety percent of his membership wants PR. I think they've said like they voted for PR. Yeah. So but he said it's not going to be. It's a, he said it's a, a second or third term issue. Well, we'll see about that. Uh, I mean, I don't. So you got know. elect him, then you got to elect him again, and then he might do something about it. Now, uh, if he, if, 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 and when Labour get in, I cannot see PR being front and centre of people like me. Like people, people love to say shit like, "Oh, well, once Labour get in, you, like, are you going to shut your account? Like, are you going to stop doing videos and stuff?" I'm like, no, like, I'm. It's not so. Try like once they're in, I will hold them to account, and if they don't start putting wheels in motion to implement PR, there will be, I mean, look, I'm just a small fish, but like people like Femi will be fucking mauling them. Like they, I don't think they can wriggle their way out of it. And from what I hear from internally in Labour, 
it is being openly discussed in terms mm. of how it could be put in properly. Um, I don't know if maybe the reason that they, and sorry to keep going back to media stuff, but I don't know if maybe the reason that they don't talk about it openly and they don't commit to it openly is because it would be portrayed by the right-wing press as radical communist fucking conspiracy nonsense. They'd be like, he's trying to upend parliament. Like, you know, it would be, he would be mauled for it. It's much safer and cynicaler for him to, you know, play the safe card, I think, and say, oh, second or third term, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, Tony Blair managed to get away with reforming the Lords. He said he was going to reform the Lords. What did well, he, he do? Did. Uh, he, got was, of... he got rid of all 698 of the hereditary peers. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And the rest of them are just going to sort of die out eventually. Yeah. And Labour said last week they were going to get rid of... Didn't they say they were going to reform the House of Lords? Yeah. Lord? You don't buy it. I mean, it's like, it's, so it's like, it's like, no, no, again, priorities, mate. Like, yeah. like uh, lovely. One t- I'm, I'm delighted that you have a plan to reform the second chamber. Right. Fantastic. Right. That's great. I, I like that. That's yeah. proactive. Fucking say something about the real issues. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get you. Okay. Come so- out hardcore and go, we're going to close the tax havens. There yeah. will be no more tax evading. This is a fair and just government for a fair and just country. Yeah. You know, and private schools. Go for it. I mean, probably shouldn't be charities. Yeah. In fact, definitely shouldn't be charities. You know what you want? You want to make the case for the free market and and how people should be free to go and do that. Sweet, make them pay tax. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> and then, okay. So here's here's my idea. So let me run this by you. This is how I think he should solve the sort of factionalism and address some of the issues that wind you up and wind me up and everyone else else out there. Do you think he should sort of have, like, we all accept that he's not in touch with every part of Labour and he doesn't no. represent all the concerns of Labour? No. Uh, should he have a very public, like, three or four, like, number twos, if you like? One person that represents Red Wall slash immigration, Brexit, like, related issues. One person that represents the city and financial services and jobs. One person that represents... Uh, I don't know, home counties, centrist kind of vote, like someone like that. And, and then like a Mick Lynch over here, like where he sits down once or twice a week with all of them and they all communicate what the concerns are from their quarters of labor. Mm-hmm. And then he's in a position to go, cool. I've Like when, when he goes for it for a press conference and they say, you know, there's word that you lose in touch with, um, uh, with the workers, with, uh, with uh, former factory workers up in, in, uh, northern constituencies mm-hmm. he can then say he's in a great position then t- to, to say you know i sat down with x yesterday we talked specifically about that and here's my plan like mm. that's you, a great idea you think something like I mean, that would work? definitely like i i am way more centrist than than it may seem you fucking prick no. like yeah like i'm not like i okay jeremy corbyn would probably be the only politician that I've seen in Britain that I trusted. Right. Possibly. There's probably a few others, but there was the main one. Okay. So, I, but like, I'm, I don't, I don't feel like they, they, they don't need to come in with like a hardcore, like fucking like neo-Marxist agenda for me mm. to be pleased. Right. They need to come in and, and just like there, there's, and I keep coming back to these, these like things that are like hardcore problems for Britain. Mm. We, someone, some politician for me needs to stand up and say, hey, I've seen these issues. Like we, we need to deal with them. Mm. Like there, there's, there's loads of them and mm. none of them are prepared to talk about it. Like 
like the other one is is in and it's wrapped up in the entire it's like it's the massive elephant inside the balloon of the immigration debate is is the birth rate mm. and the way and like the way we tra- and train and educate the next generation mm. it's like we wouldn't need to be shipping in nurses from all around the world if we decided to fucking train them ourselves yeah we wouldn't be struggling to recruit nurses even into the training program if we hadn't cut their bursary yeah like, like we, we we wouldn't be dealing with with like talking about needing immigration because of the the ever-expanding like elderly population yeah if the replacement rate of of people having kids was was like at two or whatever or at one whatever it's meant to be I can't remember if it's two or one, but like we're we're considerably below it. We're about thirty percent below it, and it's like, why don't people have kids? Because they don't feel secure. They can't buy a house. They can't settle down. You know, many okay. reasons. Yeah, but yeah. like, but no one is talking about about this as like a, an actual problem because it is going to be a monstrous problem in the next thirty years. Yeah, and and th- this is why I get, I'm not interested anymore in like bit part like tiny change. Because like we either like make a massive recorrection of course now, or there's like just madness and revolution down the road. Yeah, yeah. And if we elect Keir Starmer, he does no real ch- makes no real change in five years' time. Do you know what we get again? The fucking Tories. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I would say there's an excellent chance of that happening because what will happen is people will lend their vote to Labour on the basis that they're fed up with the corruption, the lying, the incompetence. Uh, they will associate Brexit and COVID and furlough and high taxes with the Tories. And then they will say, well, you know, Labour, all about the NHS, all about public services. I'd quite like a GP appointment. You know, I'd like my kids' classroom to be a little bit less full. Let's let's lend our vote to Keir Starmer's Labour. And they'll they'll ride in on a wave of positivity and fail spectacularly to deliver on that positivity to the level that people, people like... It will be like another Blair moment, like, uh, uh, you know, things can only get better and he'll walk on the stage mm. and it will be like, you know, it's a, what was it he said as he came on the stage? He was like, a new dawn has arrived, has mm. it not? Or something like that. And people will be drunk on all this positivity. But debt is so fucking high mm. and the markets dictate what we can do in terms of like printing a load of money and funding. Mm. Uh, they'll they won't be able to correct the problems that the Tories have created. It's certainly not in one term. Uh, and so the problems will get worse and then people will be like, well, hang on a second, I, I voted Labour because I thought it was going to be, you know, all fucking rainbows and blowjobs. But mm. it's like, turns out it's just the so, oh, well, I'll, I'll just go back to the Tories then because I'd, mm. rather, I'd rather have my leg chewed off by a crocodile that said he was a crocodile <laughs> than somebody who dressed up like a you know cute pony and then ended up buying like at least i know that this crocodile is a sociopath like i feel then, then i'm right about it you yeah. know it's a really clumsy metaphor but <laughs> no but you're, you're you're right like the devil you know yeah that's exactly it people you know, people would be like well at least they're saying that's what they're gonna do yeah like there's some comfort in as you're being stabbed to death by a sociopath who you knew was a sociopath at least as you're being stabbed you can be like, <laughs> at least I was right. Mm. Yeah, whilst you're getting eaten after that questionable Tinder day. Yeah. You know, well, he did have cannibal in his bio. I don't know what I expected. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just hoped he was nice. I just... Yeah. Uh, anyway, the last thing I want to chat to you about. Sure. Um, was 
and this will be interesting actually, was the 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 Twitter yeah, takeover madness, new plan, all this. Mm. What do you think? How's it been going? Like what what have you made of it so far? Um so I work in tech, I, I mentioned that earlier. Mm-hmm. Um I think Elon Musk is probably so first off, he's obviously he's he's a smart guy and he's got a, a relatively successful track record behind him. Yeah. Relative to me. Yeah. Um Yeah, I love the people being like, he's an idiot. And it's like, really? Yeah. Like he might have done some stupid shit here with Twitter, but like I don't know yeah. if I'd say he's an idiot. I mean there's there's some outright ridiculous behaviour that's gone on in, in the last like month or so. Oh yeah. Um like the the launch of Twitter Blue allowing people to be verified, uh, but giving them no uh, requirement to provide verification documents, thereby allowing anyone to verify themselves as anyone. Mm. Um, like the most famous example was, a, I think, a couple of weeks ago, somebody verified and then changed their name to Tony Blair, put a picture of Tony Blair up, and then put the tweet out saying, I miss killing Iraqi. <laughs> <laughs> God, I didn't see that. And then somebody <laughs> did the same thing with the George Bush. George Bush <laughs> reply tweeted it to it, saying, me too, lol. <laughs> right? Now, this is dark shit, and it's... It's yes, amazing. Yes, it's dark and it's funny, but, like, you know, I have, I have a dark sense of humour. I can see the humour in it. I know it's disgusting, but, you know, let's, let's crack on. Who could not see that problem mm. fucking galloping towards them? Like, oh, yeah, anyone can verify for, like, $8. Really? Anyone mm. can verify? Yeah, yeah, be fine. Yeah, we'll get loads of money in. Right, okay. I'm sure there's no downsides to this? Nah. And um, so there's stuff like that. And then he's he's asked his developers to print out their code reviews, like email his code reviews to him, which, as a guy who reviews code, I'm like, what? Like, you have a whole thing called GitHub for this? Like where somebody checks their code in and you can look like, why the why is it this theatrical thing of like, I want you to email. Mm. You've got to walk in here with your printing out code. And we're going to go through it like, like it's really weird. I want you to write it out. Yeah. And fax it. <laughs> but then there's some other stuff. Like I do think there's a bloated middle management layer to mm. a lot of these companies. I do think they run like headless chickens. Uh, when I asked you earlier about like, are you naturally suspicious about things? Uh, I was sort of going to go on to like I've worked for about three or four big organizations. And one of the reasons I'm not so naturally suspicious and I don't really buy into conspiracies much is in these big organizations of which some of these conspiracies would have to take the form of a big organization. Mm -hmm. They're fucking chaos. Like nothing is done on time. People are scared to tell each other if they fuck something up. So other things fuck up in turn. Two people think that they're doing a different job, but then they end up doing the same job. Mm-hmm. Um, things are, yeah, it's just chaos. It, organizations are run awfully. And I think for conspiracies uh, to run as seamlessly and perfectly as they would have to mm-hmm. uh, is a stretch for me. Anyway, to bring it back to Twitter, um, I guess... I guess my broad take on it is that it's been pretty funny. (laughs) It's definitely been funny. (laughs) Uh, I don't think it's going to work particularly well for him. Um, In what what way? Because I've been trying to figure out what way I think it's going to go. Well, I think if they relaunch Twitter Blue and ask people to provide documents, that will tidy up a lot of the misinformation and bots like a lot of the problems I think that we had around the Trump vote and the Brexit vote, I think stemmed from Russian bots and misinformation. 
I think if we if we could clean up the user base in Twitter, it would be good. Mm. Um, I always said like, if you want to use Twitter anonymously, and there's loads of people who do for valid reasons, that's fine. That's mm. your right. But my right, in turn, is that I don't think I should have. Like, if you want to be anonymous, I shouldn't have to see you. Like that is what could be more anonymous than that but it's like it's my right to internet safety that i shouldn't have to if i can tick a button or click the toggle i shouldn't have to see unverified mm. accounts that are where they say they are and are who they say they are and i think you could clean up a lot of the problems on twitter by allowing people like me to just inhabit a safe online presence mm. and not have to deal with weird trolley accounts and pylons and shit like um, so I think if he puts in protections like that, it could improve it. Um, but I don't think like 44 billion, man, is a big chunk of other people's money. Mm. And I just can't see Twitter becoming that profitable where like he can either pay that money back or people can make money out of the stake that they took. Yeah. Or... Yeah. I'm not sure yet either. The The video streaming thing is going to be very interesting. <laughs> Because they're talking about two things. They've said that there's gonna they're gonna expand the video um, hosting stuff mm. to two hours max okay. for Twitter Blue people. Cool. Um, up to forty gigabytes. Yeah. Two hours of forty gigabytes. And then there's talk about Twitter payments. So what I assume is not going to happen is that there's going to be a lot more video content going to be on Twitter. I assume that's going to form like a new tab or something in it. Yeah. And I think that they will then start taking payments, tips for creators. Um, and then Twitter will scrape some of the money from that. Yeah. And so I think that will form quite a substantial new revenue stream for them. Mm. And I also think that I think they've got a jump on YouTube at that point. Because there's been there's been Rumble and Odyssey sort of like plugging away and brand new tube as well, I've got Gosse for Sonny Poulton. Yeah. Um, but they, they've been sort of chugging away these three as like the ones that are going to replace YouTube. And I thought, right. I think Odyssey has potentially the best chance. Right. I'm not sure. I don't use Rumble a whole lot, so it's hard to tell. I know there's a lot of stuff on Rumble. Yeah, I'm not familiar with them. Um, but uh, Odyssey is like a blockchain based one. I'm actually on, I, I have Odyssey as well. I have like all my podcasts are on Odyssey as well, but it's because it, it rips straight from YouTube um, and then posts all your stuff from your YouTube channel on your Odyssey channel. Okay. Um, and then you can like upload stuff specifically only there if you don't want it to be on YouTube. Yeah. Um, and then they have like a, they have their own token that people can tip you in and like yeah, give you yeah. things so i've got I don't know, like 80 quids worth of tips just oh, from okay. people watching yeah because you generate the you generate the tokens by watching videos and you get reward for watching it and then you can give it to like creators and then at yeah. some point they can cash out if they get enough that it's worth it yeah um which i think is a cool idea yeah yeah um it requires your token to be worth something which is why i don't think twitter will create their own one i assume they'll just piggyback on the bitcoin or probably dogecoin which yeah, could be quite yeah. entertaining yeah um but but then where does the free speech stuff fit into it? Because this right, so this is why I think they got the jump on YouTube. Because mm. YouTube has become a place where no one knows what they're allowed to say. Mm. Like, I find it very difficult to discuss the, the lab leak theory from um, regarding the origin of COVID. Did you get which, strikes for it? Um, I, did, I, I, I didn't get strikes. Right. But I was very, very concerned I would get strikes. 
Right. I was talking to people who very seriously investigate in the subject, not some fucking nutcase, like people yeah. With, yeah. with qualifications who took a long time to speak to a lot of smart people. Um, Shari Markson, for example, who wrote the book, uh, What Really Happened in Wuhan, um, former, like a couple of different like epidemiologists who were looking at like the, the, the structure of it. Yeah. And like, and it was just like, right, what can we say? Because yeah. YouTube are so opaque about what is and isn't okay. And, and that just, I don't enjoy that. I don't enjoy wondering because mm -hmm. like there's, I'm, I'm not out here trying to claim like I know what I'm talking about. I'm not out here trying to claim that the person opposite me is definitely 100% right about anything ever. Yeah. Right? What I'm trying to do is like find smart people to discuss things that, that are interesting to me. Yeah. And that I think, I think the, the origin is of, of COVID is a huge fucking deal yeah, yeah, yeah. like it shut down the world for two years i think we should be very seriously being very pissed at the chinese yeah so okay but then if you if you peel this onion a little right yeah. so i don't like being kept in the dark either uh if i upload a video to youtube mm -hmm. and it's got let's say it's got some proof on it or something of substance that suggests that the lab leak theory that there's a lot of uh what's the word a lot of um evidence credence to it oh, yeah. right uh and then it picks up mm -hmm. it gains traction goes on the front of the independence website mm -hmm. uh metro blast it out mm -hmm. fox news pick it up mm -hmm. tucker carlson starts talking about it mm -hmm. then it's the subject of the tonight show it bleeds out into the pop culture consensus mm -hmm. everyone is talking about like oh fuck, did you see that video oh yeah and it had a scientist on there and it talked to suddenly this is a geopolitical issue mm -hmm. and you've got biden talking to president g and the two of them are so like the us china the UK, China, they're so inextricably linked mm -hmm. through finance, through like, how how comfortable would you be letting something like that bubble up? Because I, I've got to be honest, I have questions also mm -hmm. around that. I think there's a lot of like coincidences and strange denials and um, black you mean, spots. You mean like when, when the Chinese government went in in September 20, 2019 and just destroyed everything in the lab and destroyed all the evidence? And there was, uh, <laughs> they, they checked the traffic going in and out of that facility. And I think it was about a month or six weeks before the whole shit blew up. Mm. There was some incident that took place there where no one was allowed in or out. And they've never explained that. No. And they never find any trace of, 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 the, of COVID or anything just like a anything similar yeah. in any bat in Wuhan or pangolin. Yeah. No live animal, like possible transmission thing was found ever. Yeah. Moderna, this is the fucking stupid one, right? <laughs> Moderna were part of like funding some of the gain of function research and, and stuff on, on different coronaviruses. And it's like innocuous, fine. Like companies do that. Yeah. Part of one of the things that they had patented, which uh, from 2015, this sequence, right? That they have patented. Yeah. And it would make sense if pharmaceutical companies are working in this area and then other scientists are coming along and like doing different experiments based on things. It doesn't have to be some stupid monster conspiracy that Moderna have created COVID and then released it for the profit, right? But there's a sequence in there that's identical to this Moderna patent. Yeah. There's a one in three billion chance that that's a, that that's a coincidence. Yeah. And it's just like, I, you know, it seems like they were working on it at that lab. But then you have seems, to- Seems like, you know- believe that that is a- that that is what happened. Mm. Firstly, you have to believe that they would be like, 
nobody will spot this. You know, this could be the biggest oh, fucking it's not pandemic. That, like, what I think is that what happened is that they were working on, on gain-of-function research at this lab, which they were. Yeah. I've spoken to the whistleblowers personally. Yeah. Um, seemed like really smart and concerned people. Mm. They were working on bat coronaviruses and making them more infectious to humans, especially using both live bats and um, human, or sorry, genetically engineered mice whose lungs are meant to uh, be more like humans. Right. They're working on coronaviruses there with a place that had safety violations where they were storing a whole bunch of different viruses. That's right beside where the, the outbreak happens, where they went in and stopped, where the Chinese government went in, destroyed a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Refused to answer any questions. Yeah. It's like, I shouldn't be worried about being banned from YouTube for talking about that. Yeah. To bring it back to where we were at. But the... It's like, and even if I'm wrong. Yeah. I shouldn't be banned for talking about that. So, uh, I agree. Because I could still be wrong. Yeah. Someone might find the fucking bat, you know? I think, like, so morally, ethically, I think you have a right to ask those questions. Mm. And I wonder a lot about that stuff. I'm like, I, I think on the balance of probabilities, uh, there's probably a 60-40 chance that something dodgy happened and that we absolutely don't know the full extent of it. And we probably won't because to know that would bubble up into a huge geopolitical problem mm. that could result in some sort of nuclear war. And I think on the US side and within the UK and the EU, I think people way, way smarter than me probably fucking know that. Decided to not rock the boat. Yeah. But to to piss off China and to fundamentally destabilize the world, mm. I think they're looking at it like, let's just fuck it. Like maybe we leave this one for the history books for like fifty years time. Somebody can blow the lid on it. But like for now, let <laughs> you know. But like, and I'm I'm happy to take that bullet to to not talk about it on YouTube. I'm happy to live in blissful ignorance if it keeps the world alive because I'm a fucking good guy. <laughs> Oh, I mean, you got a point. Maybe I'm causing, you know, fucking. You're such a troublemaker. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, but but like to your point, what you were saying about about how it like spreads out, you know, it could end up on the independent and the metro and then on Fox News. It's like, do all those people should be doing their due diligence? Yeah. All of them. Mm. This that's the state of journalism. It well, happened. They... It happened numerous innumerable times over the past five ten years. Yeah, a story blows up based on nothing. Nobody checks it. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it's on, like, mainstream news. Well, that's a different problem. I mean, that's the nature of, like, yeah. you know, clickable yeah. news. But that's there. the lack of their own due diligence. Yeah. Like, every single, like, you get a story from some other place, you should be going to check it. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've had stories I have made up that I, like, I, I, this is going back a few years now. I'll probably get myself in trouble for saying this. But, oh, don't but, worry. Um, uh, I made a Twitter account. There's about 2015, it must have been, called James Conwin MP. And he was like, I just took a picture off uh, Google Images of a sort of, you know, an old grey-haired uh, white guy, looked like a Tory. Um, and I created this. And there was a, a story in the news that day about how a load of wealthy people's savings accounts had leaked. And they were all embarrassed about it, but they, they were angry that their savings account had been... So I put this sort of flippant tweet out saying... Um, uh, you know, why is everyone uh, ranting about rich people's savings? You know, this is pure hypocrisy. You, you never you never see people ranting about poor people's savings, right? And I'm sort of, you know, I'm being stupid and ironic and I'm, you know, because obviously poor people don't have fucking savings. Like, but this is exactly the sort of thing that a detached 
arrogant Tory MP would come out with. <laughs> so I put this thing out there and it fucking exploded. <laughs> and uh, like, you know, I'm off, off busy working over here. I came back to it a couple of hours later and it was, oh, it's just anger, like directed at this made up thing. Anyway, the reason I bring this up is because uh, the next day in City AM and fucking, there was another one. I can't remember who it was now. And then at the end of the week, it went on like, uh, have I got news for you? Like, click as though it was a real person? No. I was like, fucking hell. Like, does nobody check anything anymore? Not even researchers at the BBC are like, should we just check if this guy's, like, real? You, like... Yes, they should. Yeah. This is, like, but, but then then I would just say, well, these, these, these outlets deserve to be embarrassed to lose their reputation. Yeah. Well, they should have a three strikes and they're out rule. It should be like, you know, if I if I can show you three examples in our like regulator meeting catch up that we do three times a year. So if I can show you three examples of where you haven't fact checked something and you've just fucking retailed it out. No, that should be fine. You should have to do public retractions. Because like, because no, because like, right, because the world of news is fast, man. Things, people are going to get shit wrong. Yeah. Fine. Yeah, but not three times in, like, a quarter. Mm, really? I'd say so. Doesn't that just but, instill, like, like, a greater responsibility on them, though? To... Retractions. Here's mm. where we were wrong. That yeah. would, it would instill so much fucking trust. Like, front page? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Go for it. I mean, maybe, maybe you don't I make them go put with, it on the front page. I was going to go, like, fire breathing. Like, three times, withdraw license. You can't, you're no longer a newspaper. You're a fucking pamphlet now. Oh, yeah, but you see, the problem with that is then the... It's like, look, I always just like imagine this. Okay, right. Current government, Tories, horrible, corrupt cunts, right? They would stack the board with everyone that like then you would see a left wing paper just license removed immediately for three tiny innocuous things. Yeah. It would be abused. Well, I think the left wing paper, maybe I'm biased. I am biased. Uh, But maybe the left wing papers are like typically more trustworthy yeah 100 percent. like uh, uh, but but that's not that's not how it would like be used yeah yeah do you know like they, they would it'd be like like right okay the, the amount of headlines that i've seen talking about how you know britain is in a uniquely awful position because of brexit right now mm. and i'm just like you you can't say that you just right you, 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 like people are talking like because they're like oh the inflation and the cost of living crisis is because of brexit yeah and i'd just be like um go to europe go visit them like just go ask them How, how's the inflation lads yeah most of europe are doing worse than us on this right seriously yeah. germany's food price inflation is over 20 percent at the minute man but it's so the... my, my point is that like okay there's definitely there's definitely like you can make arguments to say okay brexit has caused this to be worse right but what three tories sitting on that board that mm. look at this would say they'd be like well you know uh th- that's that's not true mm. well that's a strike yeah you know, they would, they would use it. I guess it needs to go like right up to the top uh, of a Labour government. Uh, <laughs> you would need somebody like the Secretary of State for Media and Culture or whatever to, to say like, right, when these boards are populated by ex-editors or mm-hmm. people with uh, investments in that media company, like there has to be oversight of those. Like you can't just... Who pleases the police? Yeah, but then it just yeah. like bubbles out. Like for me, it's just like just... You have, we have to just let I we just have to let it go and allow allow people to to figure out who's trustworthy yeah yeah i mean i think it should just be me i should just have oversight that's that would solve it all i'll try to be fair but i can't promise everything you know 
what what is it that oh, I'm a, oh, we'll finish on this because we, yeah we're almost done with the the room um neil brennan fantastic comedian he was yeah. on um he was on joe rogan's podcast there recently and i always watch when i see when i when it pops up neil brennan i'm always like straight in him yeah the three i'm always immediately straight in it's him duncan trussell don't know if you, uh, the yeah, guy yeah, did. Yeah, yeah yeah duncan trussell i don't know what it is it, it, it's the it's the him duncan trussell and tim dylan are the three most brilliant guests that joe yeah. rogan ever has i don't know why they yeah. just make the funniest and best conversation yeah but uh neil brennan was saying we all agree that there should be a council that decides what the truth is yeah the only problem is none of us can agree who goes on that council <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i mean he's got a point uh as to you about like trussell and uh and tim dylan mm. yeah love them i haven't checked out much of neil brennan's stuff i might have to uh... i don't think i've ever seen, like i've I, I remember i saw him you definitely used to be one of those like um sort of periodic contributors in the daily show okay yeah but i i don't think i've ever watched any of a stand-up seen him in anything apart from on the daily show and on yeah. the joe rogan experience yeah but he's he's just I, I I can't remember why, but like years ago I just watched a random episode with him on it. Yeah. And and then I was just like, oh man, this is a guest. Yeah. Because he's yeah because he I don't know he's just a great uh, he's great like uh, he's a great opposing force for for Rogan. Like sometimes if he gets people that are super super hard in in some direction that he agrees with, mm. if he like follows them down the path. Yeah, and I think the best episodes that he does are ones where he's pushing people, and and who who like, yeah, disagree with him on yeah, things, yeah. And, and Neil Brennan does that in a really great way. So yeah, gotta say the last, yeah, well, I, I don't remember which which number it was, like nineteen oh five or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, we we have got finished. So man, uh, do you want to plug any of your stuff, podcast? Yeah, sure. So uh, yeah, so uh, Abe Thompson and Other Disappointments is my show. I do one uh, on a Wednesday normally. Um, it's a solo one where it's just me roasting and ripping the news. And then normally I have a, a guest on a Friday night and we talk about whatever's gone on that week or their speciality. It tends to sort of vary from academics to journalists to, yeah, just a little bit of a mix of everything. Awesome. Well, people check that out. Links will be in the description below. Thanks very much, man. Thank you. Hey everyone, thanks for making it right the way to the end of the podcast. I love that you tuned in this long. Do me a favor, hit subscribe because 80% of you bastards are not subscribing, but you're watching my videos. See you next time. So whenever I'd be out for a walk, whenever I was going to cook dinner, whenever I was doing cleaning, I always used to spend my time listening to music. And I still really enjoy listening to a lot of music, but what I've discovered is that I can consume so many more books when I'm using something like Open Audible. It's a fantastic, fantastic way for me to make my way through all the things I have to read for this podcast, for things I want to read for fun. That's like fiction and nonfiction. Sometimes I actually prefer fiction when it's being read to me. Uh, I like someone doing the voices, like someone, you know, really getting into the characters. In the case of both fiction and nonfiction, it allows me to spend way more time visualizing what I'm reading. So I can think more about the ideas, I can think more about the scenes that people are trying to paint, and ultimately it just gives my brain more space to think because I'm not concentrating on the words in front of me or trying to stay focused on it. Instead, I can just sort of mindlessly get on with whatever task I'm doing and listening via Open Audible. Now, the reason Open Audible is great is because it allows me to do it straight from my desktop. 
I try to stay away from my phone as much as possible in order to sort of maximize my productivity because it can be a very fast way to waste half an hour. Whereas if I just open my laptop and hit play on Open Audible, I can connect it to my Bluetooth speaker and then I don't even have to go anywhere near my phone. Do you like free stuff? I'm sure you do. Well, I'm going to give away a free copy of Open Audible to one lucky person that signs up for my mailing list in the next month. Now, those of you who are already signed up, don't worry. You can be involved in the draw as well. Just give me a rating or review on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts and post it on Twitter. Send it to me via email. Respond to something I've posted on YouTube. Somewhere you can prove you've got a screenshot and I will enter you in the draw. I have to admit, I used to be a little bit of a book snob. I wouldn't even consider a Kindle, let alone an audiobook. It just felt like cheating. But that is until I tried Audible and Open Audible. Ever wonder where I find the time to read all the books that my guests have written on this show? Well, this is the answer. When I'm behind in my reading, I just jump to audiobook. Open Audible is a cross-platform audiobook manager designed for Audible users that can allow you to download, view, manage, and connect your favorite audiobooks on MP3 so that you can enjoy them across all your devices. Best of all, you can control it all from a desktop application. I'm giving away a copy of Open Audible for the entire month of November. All you have to do is sign up to my mailing list. You'll find the link in the description below or go to openaudible.org for more information.